This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Majid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. It comes very naturally to us to think about our life in terms of choices and decisions, to look back on our past as a series of right or wrong choices, ones that we're proud of, ones we're regretting, and to look to our future in terms of the decisions we will face, the choices we will have to make. In much of Western ethics, there was a presumption that ethics was about helping us decide how to make choices. And competing theories would, on one hand, emphasize that a choice was, was good if it led to a good outcome. And at the opposite extreme, some theories would argue that something is good in an absolute sense, regardless of what its outcome is. But both shared a kind of assumption that what we were looking for was some kind of rational rule to follow to help us make ethical decisions. Now, there is a commonsensical level in which this preoccupation with good and bad decisions is evidently valuable and correct. But it's so prevalent that we can forget that in our practice we're practically never concerned with making decisions. And that the way practice is conceived of is not about that sense of outcome at all. What's the alternative? Rather than thinking about what's the right or wrong thing to do, our practice begins by asking us to 
develop a certain kind of character and to adopt a certain kind of perspective. And then trust how we will function from there spontaneously. That perspective can be thought of as one that genuinely recognizes our nature as interdependent and impermanent. That character is one that is based on that sense of non-separation. One that is based on a fellow feeling. Whether we call that empathy or love or oneness. But it's not in any way based on an algorithm for rational decision making. But rather a way of perceiving what we are, what the world is like, and when we perceive correctly, responding from that perspective. See, nowadays, we read a great deal about the benefits of meditation. And there is obviously a level at which meditation pays off in terms of outcomes. But it's really not at all about outcomes in the sense of becoming calmer or happier or more focused or less stressed or anything like that. Some of the folks who tout the benefits of meditation may in fact have a sense that The true benefit is the capacity to develop that deep acceptance of our nature as interconnected and impermanent. But what comes out of that acceptance is not a benefit in our usual sense of the word. of impermanence means that old age, sickness, and death are not intrusions into our life, but they are our life. The reality of impermanence means that we cannot base our equanimity on 
finding any safe, permanent, unchanging place or state inside or outside and try to hold on to it. Joko would say practice allows us to suffer intelligently. Suffer in the knowledge that impermanence is not uh, a flaw, not a sign of we've done something wrong. But the very nature of what it is to be human. When we look at the precepts, the three pure precepts ask us to adopt. this vision of recognizing our true nature. Then the ten grave precepts, in a sense, enumerate the things that flow from that, flow from that sense of non-separation, non-killing, non-stealing, not elevating not separating self and other in any kind of way. In the literature of the old sutras, really only one decision is ever emphasized. And that's the decision to be, to to leave home to become a monk. There's a decision to have your head shaved and be ordained. And that decision means taking a leap into a new form of life which we then some sense trust will act upon us and transform us. And there's a kind of recognition that everyone will make that decision for their own idiosyncratic and basically wrong self-centered reason. But that doesn't matter. The paradigmatic story about that is uh, a man who uh, got completely drunk and uh, while he was drunk had his head shaved and ordained to join uh, the Buddha Sangha. And the next morning, the monks asked the Buddha if this was valid. Could this be a, you know, a true ordination if he made this decision while he was drunk? And the Buddha said it didn't matter. But, you know, that the only thing that matters now is that he has entered into this life. In a way, we all make our decisions intoxicated in one form or another, right? Maybe intoxicated on the 
fantasy of enlightenment or some such thing. Doesn't matter. As lay people, it's not so black and white. We don't make that kind of single, irrevocable decision to leave home, enter a monastery, shave our head, give away all our possessions. And in a certain way, we burden our practice with the appearance of having a lot of decisions to make about how much to practice, where to practice, who to practice with. And we think that the quality of our practice will depend on making the right decision in response to all those different variables and choices and questions. But really none of that is what what matters so much. What matters is that we find in our practice something of a glimmer of this alternative to a life thought of in terms of outcomes. some taste of the reality of practice simply as experiencing our life as it is, regardless of its content, regardless of where it's going, regardless of any sense of how are we doing. 